0: Saha, <laughs> dudes, you're listening oh to Chatting It Up. The only... <laughs> <laughs> I hate this. <laughs> <laughs> you messed me up. Uh, you're listening to Chatting It Up, the only radio show that is recorded entirely upside down and on the ceiling. I'm Greg Burns, and joining me today, we have a familiar voice, Bruns. I'm regretting coming back. (laughs) Yes, you are. (laughs) But anyway, uh, thanks to all the technical issues that we had last time and the fact that we went over time quite a bit, uh, we weren't able to actually have much of a conversation, so Bruns is back here today, so we can dive back into the world of gaming and I was hoping to get more in on the topic of boss fights actually because in my opinion if you think of a game most of the time if it has boss fights you typically think of those boss fights first most of the time because they just leave such a big impact on
1: you mm-hmm. and boss fights are kind of a staple of gaming I'd say I, I couldn't say where the first boss fight started I'd, I'd have to think on that for a while but Back what we were talking about last time I was on Dark Souls is like currently the modern staple of the boss fight. And I think we talked about the uh, dance of the Boreal Valley in Dark Souls Three and how music plays into how that boss fight plays out. And I think there's a lot more to go into and in how Dark Souls perfects its boss boss fights. Because again, you have not only the change in tempo and key and whatnot that we talked about last time. But the concept of phases in a boss fight, I'm not going to say it's unique to Dark Souls, but I think when most people think of phased boss fights, or even boss fight in general, but mostly phase, they think of Dark Souls, because of how Dark Souls perfects it. Every boss in Dark Souls has a second phase, or even a third phase in Dark Souls 3's DLC expansion, uh, Ashes of Ariandel, but we'll get into that, but... And each one brings in a type of gimmicky or non-like standard mechanic into the boss fight that's unique to each one. Every boss is unique, but I think that in regards to the phases is really what sells a lot of the fights and what makes them good fights. Like um, Iudex Gundir, first boss fight in Dark Souls Three, has. I think is an amazing first boss and a great example of what a first boss should be. It's not too hard, but he doesn't pull his punches. He has pretty balanced attacks. Like they're well telegraphed, but they're not too telegraphed and they're not impossible to dodge. And he has a mix of those big wind-up attacks that you can roll around and like the sweeping attacks that you have to be precise in your movements with and the quick jabs like he has a shoulder bash that comes out pretty quick, I know. And it's a good balance of learning all of these mechanics that bosses might have. And he introduces you to the concept of a second phase, in that he when he moves to a second phase, he gets a demon-like appendage that grows out of him. And kind of introduces newcomers to the Dark Souls series, to the concept of monstrous bosses that are common in Dark Souls, even though the more humanoid ones are generally the more fearsome bosses. But he gets huge and has these huge, big damage, but well telegraphed attacks. And I think he covers a lot of the bases in Dark Souls 3 for what to expect for bosses and is a good introduction to Dark Souls.
0: I can agree with that. Like, that does, like, show, like, a lot of, like, the really cool staples of boss fights. But would you say that there are any that are just, like totally like you just hate seeing them in any boss fight like if you saw that like like for me to give an example would be the like the immortality sphere that some bosses have uh i can't think of any dark soul example because i don't think dark souls actually does this but there's plenty of other games that do it when like you you get the boss down the half hit points and then they like go to their second phase but when doing so they're like oh Now I'm immortal for, you know, X amount of time. Oh, during that time, you're going to fight a wave of my minions. It's like, it's cool, but it's like so many bosses have done it that it's like kind of just repetitive. And the fact that it's just like, okay, cool. I'm now finding your minions, but you're still here with this obvious magical
1: sphere that's like, oh, I can't attack you. Mm. One example does come to mind from Dark Souls. The uh, Curse Rot Great Tree, a Great Wood, I think it's called. Uh, It's a bit into the game, but uh, like a, a few regions in. But basically, the fight has you fighting off a bunch of minions while trying to hit certain areas on the boss. And then the second phase, where you just the floor breaks out and you fall to a pit below with the boss itself. It's kind of anticlimactic. I don't think it's a great boss. It's one of the, I think, worst bosses I've seen in the Souls series. But... It's not terrible. It's bad, but it's not terrible. But I know what you're talking about. And I would agree with you there. A lot of those kind of mechanics aren't great bosses. You don't feel like you're fighting a boss. You feel like you're going through the motions of fighting minions again. And just going to do X, kill X, instead of an engaging boss fight. Because I think it's important that during those fights, the player should stay engaged with the boss at all times. And I don't mean combat as engaged. I mean, uh, it like engages in like a combat engagement. I mean engaged in interacting with, and it's always an ever-present thought on the player's mind. There should always be a threat from this boss. And I think Nameless King and Dark Souls 3, it's an optional, like late game, end game boss is a great example. Of it, because he at uh, sometimes he'll fly up, and like uh, he's not invincible, but it's hard to hit him. You have ranged weapons, so it is possible. But he'll fly around on his dragon in the first phase before second phase hit. He kills his dragon to get its soul and power, and then you're fighting again a hard hitting humanoid. So for me, whenever I think of boss fights, and I just feel like I
0: have to talk about it because it just keeps popping up in my head. I always, it, like, there's all these boss fights they always do in these combat-focused games. But for some reason, the first one that keeps popping up in my head over and over again is not from a combat-focused game. It's from a detective-y kind of style game. Do you know anything about the Call of Cthulhu uh, video game or even the... Uh, I do.
1: It's, it's on my playlist. I, I got it from, like, a free drop, and I have yet to play it, but it is on my list of to play. I do play the Call of Cthulhu RPG, though. Yeah, oh, like the tabletop. Yeah, and just
0: like in the RPG, you know, it's like you're you're not because that's what one of my favorite parts of the Call of Cthulhu RPG is if you're like a big like D and D nerd, you're gonna be like, oh yeah, you know, like let's have big shootouts, you know, like ah oh, get you get shot, oh that's fine, you you'll be mm-hmm. fine. Nah, Call of Cthulhu, you you're a human, period. Like you're a
1: regular person. You get shot, you you're dead.
0: Because
1: mm-hmm. there's not levels. You don't have any system of advancing your character. You're always a squishy like maximum 10 hit point character. And going up against these Eldritch Monsters, when I play or run Call of Cthulhu, I expect players to die. Like, the first game I ran, I ran it for four friends, and it ended with one of them having a mental breakdown and like getting obsessed by this cursed book, uh, getting killed by his best friend and partner in like detective work, who also had a mental break, and during their fight, the other two guys just got scared off and like broke the entrance to like the mine that they were entrapping them in there, and just had like a quiet car ride home, and that's where we ended it.
0: Yeah, I've never heard of a time someone played Call of Cthulhu and everyone got home and was happy and had nothing wrong with the rest of their life. You always end up in a psychiatric or a psychiatric
1: hospital at some point because you just. You just have to. <laughs> Sounds some, some, like someone's never heard of Old Man Henderson. Have you ever heard of them? No, I haven't. It is an infamous tale in the Call of Cthulhu community about. I think it was originally posted on 4chan, but it's it's been taken off a lot more from there. But it's basically someone's tale of the most broken Call of character they've ever had, or like played with. It's told from the perspective of. One of the not the person who played it, but one of the players in the game, they were getting upset with their DM. I forget about what, so they were having an upcoming call through the game. So, one of his friends just stayed up for several days and wrote like a 500 page backstory for this dude named Old Man Henderson, which for two reasons it was long enough that he knew the DM would never read it, and so that he could edit it and add to it at any time he wanted. To add, the dude spoke fluent Portuguese. Uh, A good part of the backstory was written in fluent German, which the person who wrote it didn't speak, which he attributes to divine inspiration. (laughs) But um, the character was like a middle-aged, not middle-aged, like an older man with a Hawaiian shirt, aviator sunglasses, and a shotgun, whose whole motive to start off with was he thought the cult had stolen his lawn gnomes this is great. And this plot broke down in the first session because Old Man Henderson just went with a shotgun to the cult and just killed everyone with the shotgun. And the escapades following, he survived till the very end. Well, one player in the camp in the campaign had to change characters three times in one session because they kept dying. So everyone would come to the game with multiple character sheets, except for Old Man Henderson. Nice. And his whole purpose was just to make their DM suffer. <laughs> it's like a, like a revenge plot. But it's you can find the reads for it. Like there's audio readings on YouTube or you can just find the text for it. It's If you're in that kind of RPG stuff, it is a very good read. And there's some commentary that later about that from the author and um, the person who played Old Man Henderson also commented on it as well. I'd recommend checking that out if you're into D&D, Call of Duty, and tabletop RPGs.
0: Yeah. And we'll be taking a quick commercial break here. When we get back, we'll be hearing more from me and Bruns about... Internet pop culture. Internet pop culture. (laughs) Woo! (laughs) Totally peaked right there. to
1: chatting It Up on UCM Radio The whoa whoop. I do like those kind of games though that don't tell you the lore straight up. I like the investigative. Like, I know Destiny has a similar thing where I know one guy on YouTube single-handedly fuels the entire like, a uh, lore hunt in Destiny. Uh, I think his name is Biff and he makes, like, hour-long videos on Destiny lore because he just catalog, he, he has people that work with him, just catalog every piece of lore that's ever found, any any like tool tip and any like flavor text on any weapon and whatnot, and he's put together and keeps updating an entire timeline in Destiny based on that and I think that's amazing yeah, one of my
0: favorite games that has like a huge like community based with lore and stuff is actually uh, Fallout cause mm-hmm. like there are lots of people who have dedicated themselves to releasing just Fallout lore. Like, if I'm ever just, like, need background noise, I pop open some Fallout lore. Because, like, there are just hours of that footage. Like, you can get lost in that kind of information. And it, if you like Fallout, it's really interesting. It's a really great rabbit hole, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Because it's just, like... You hear about it, and you're like, oh, yeah, I, I know what, you know, like, a fat boy is, or, like, I, I know what Nuka-Cola is. Mm-hmm. But then they start talking more and more about it, and you're like, oh, jeez. Mm-hmm. Well, why do I drink Nuka-Cola? Oh, no. <laughs> you know, like, that kind of, its just like, you, you start realizing really weird parts of the game that I was like, mm-hmm. I should have known that because it seems so obvious now, and that's so weird. And the fact that the, they find the most obscure details just tucked away somewhere— And it's just so cool. Uh, Like, I have a big respect for the modding community, and so do a lot of other gamers, because it's like, you know, the games are great, but Mm -hmm. sometimes, you know, the games don't always meet our expectations, or it's always like you want to see more of it. And then you get these people who just, as a hobby, add Mm -hmm. more content to the game. And sometimes they
1: add just truckloads of more content. Sometimes, they, like this one I was talking about, they just recreate an entire new game. Exactly. Using just the base engine and mechanics of the existing game. Or they add like a brand new mechanic that you're like, how did I ever not play with this? And like, <laughs> back to Bethesda games, like, and Skyrim too has, like, everyone talks about Skyrim mods. Because I think Bethesda has one of the largest and most dedicated modding communities out of any studio or franchises out there. And, I mean, someone could bring up Minecraft as a
0: counter That's a, That is a good argument. Yeah. That is a good
1: point. <laughs> but almost... I still have always played with those games vanilla, and I get a lot of flack from my friends for that and saying I'm missing out on experience. But I prefer vanilla versions. I'll, I'll fight anyone on that. <laughs> but... Um, and you have the, the kind of the contrast between the types of mods, like we were talking about the big, pretty much entirely new game mods. Then you have shit like, uh, have you ever seen the Randy Savage Deathclaw? <laughs> yeah.
0: All right. <laughs> or or, like, or, or, or uh, do, do you know about Terraria? Mm-hmm. Apparently, the most subscribed to Steam mod for Terraria is a mod that makes it to where, uh, was it Fish or like Duke Fishdrawn or whatever his name is that that boss makes them into a Pepsi can. That is the number one most subscribed mod for Terraria
1: on Steam. Why? I have no idea. I wonder what the most <laughs> subscribed to mod of, out of, like, every game on Steam is. Oh, man. It, it's either going to
0: be, like, a super great mod or Fish Duke Run as <laughs> that's a Pepsi can. I found that out yesterday, too, and I was like, why? It, why is
1: this? It's probably some kind of UI. Uh, graphics or UI change though knowing that's all it is
0: yeah yeah. but it's just hilarious that's the number one
1: subscribed what does Duke Fish to have to do with Pepsi (laughs) like is there like a Terraria meme like a community I just don't know about or is that just some random (laughs) shit it's
0: just a random thing
1: or if there is like a deep meme in it like
0: I haven't found it Mm -hmm. because it's just so deep I guess but like just on the surface there's nothing there's no information about it. It's just
1: that there's the Pepsi can, fight it. I would love like an I- internet documentary on that. <laughs> like why, like the, the history of that, why it happened, how it got like, cause I love that kind of shit. Like on YouTube, how some channels are dedicated to making like long documentary style videos about internet pop culture. Like, uh, I know th- there's one guy I've seen on there. I think his name is The Right Opinion. He makes a lot of those kind of videos. Or like Internet Historian, he's another one that makes those, if you've watched either of them.
0: I don't think so now.
1: But um, well, I, I might have seen like one of
0: their videos and just not known them kind of thing.
1: Actually, well, Internet Historian, I think, is probably the foremost one in that regard. I think he I think he has over a million, if I remember correctly, subscribers. But um not just like internet stuff so, like general like events like in like meme history, like uh he did a few videos on like uh, the whole COVID experience and um, shit. And like other videos, like there was a whole, have you ever heard of Dub the Dew?
0: It sounds familiar. Ah, It's yeah. like on the tip of my tongue, but in my brain, you know, like mm-hmm. as an image, but I can't think of it.
1: Yeah. Um, so he did a video on the history of internet polls. And there was one called Dub the Dew, where Mountain Dew let the community vote and suggest names for a new flavor. And for the sake that we can keep the show running, I'm not going to say which one won. Because it's... I forgot about that, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dang, now that's in my head again. <laughs> yeah. And, like, there was another event where... Um, I forget the name of the company. But they had, a like, a keynote-style presentation event. And they had a thing where, uh, either on Twitter or Facebook, you could tag their tag and like whatever message you tagged that with like a hashtag or whatever would show up on a big video feed there at the conference. And so I think it was, I think it was 4chan that found out about it. That's a bad idea. Someone, someone there at the, (laughs) that the, um, convention was like fortune. I come to you in my time of need. So, and so huge screens open the gates of hell or whatnot. (laughs) And, uh, the people running it like scrambled, and they got it shut down, and they removed the tag. Within minutes, 4chan found out that another tag would work that was never announced, like a bug or some sort, and instantly started using that. So the only things you saw were only that, so they shut down the rest of it. There's a lot of stuff like that on his channel that's really interesting to watch. And... um. Yeah, no, there are definitely some really weird places that the internet
0: has been in. Some really dingy, crummy holes <laughs> that you're like, oh, my gosh, how did that ever happen? But then there's also, like, those nice little flakes of gold that are hidden
1: there, too. You're mm. like, hey, wh-
0: why does no one else know about that?
1: Yeah. That's great. Yeah. I love those kind of, like, crackhead, like, <laughs> lore, death kind of story games. Like, back to um, Bethesda for a moment, um, I think it was Morrowind. There's um, a book in there. Uh, I can't remember exactly what it's called, like the 27 teachings or something like that. And there's a story that goes along. It's a book in the game that you can read. And there's a whole story outside of the game for that. Uh, uh, Allegedly, one of the writers for Bethesda locked himself in his apartment for a week on shrooms and wrote the whole book by himself for uh, allegedly he denies it, but there's photo images out there of him slumped over on like a tile floor that are apparently taken by Todd Howard. (laughs) And uh, so like Todd Howard went to check on him and found him (laughs) after he had written the book in his apartment, like naked on the floor. (laughs) (laughs) uh, is that kind of stuff
0: to say that's like in all the Elder Scroll games, like there are just so many books
1: It's like, you can read all the books. And just note, we here on the show do not condone shrooms for writing lore. Yeah, we, we should also <laughs> probably touch up on that.
0: Don't do drugs. Uh, stay in school. <laughs> What's the other one? Uh, eat your vegetables. There you are. Yeah. Yep. Eat your school, stay in drugs, and don't do vegetables. Bingo. We got all three. Uh, <laughs> I used to say that to people randomly, and then they just gave me weird looks <laughs> like, wait, What? Because at first they're like, oh, yeah, and then they're like, wait a second, L- let me think of what you just said. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, it's just, it's so, I want to say, like, on one hand, it's like, it's amazing, it's great, but then on the other hand, it's like, why? Mm-hmm. Why are there just so many books
1: in these games, all of them, like, written out, too, mm-hmm. it's like. Lusty, Argonian barmaid, <laughs> you heard of that one? <laughs> yeah. I think that was in. Is that one in Skyrim or is yeah. that one? In, okay, uh, I couldn't remember if that was Oblivion or Skyrim that one's in. I, I'm pretty sure it's in Skyrim. Like, I,
0: th- I think like you're right. 80. Uh, I think I'm like 90 percent sure it's in Skyrim. I, but there's I know I I, I and don't. Like I used to collect some of the cool books and like read them a little bit on my free time. Uh, but but there's a YouTube video that I found where this guy it, I, he calls it like the Skyrim Book Report. Where he goes out and reads all like 250 or so books in the game to figure out a tier list for how good they all are. (laughs) <laughs> and it's like a 30-minute YouTube video about this guy talking about every single book in Skyrim and his tier list for them we're, about how great they
1: are. How does he rank Lester Organian Barmaid?
0: I don't remember because it's been I, – I, I listened to that back uh, when, you know, we were all trapped in our houses. And I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm bored. Oh, a 30-minute book report? Why not? I'm going to listen to that after the show. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see if I can't send you a link on that because it was mm-hmm. just – it's just – yeah, it's –
1: seems like that that'd probably be written by a crackhead mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of dabble in that myself like back to kind of the RPG stuff we t- kind of dabbled in earlier I run a lot of Dungeons and Dragons and I've written my own setting and I've been w- that I've been working on for three years and like I have so many Google Docs of just like late night ADD fueled like obsession over this lore that I've written. And I brought in a friend to co author it with me. So I kind of, we, we're kind of doing it double the pace because he's the same way. We're like, I'll get a notification. We, we set up a Discord server to log all of our lore and stuff. I'll get like a notification at like three in the morning. Oh, looks like Derek posted a new lore piece in the server. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, the The biggest game
0: I've ever run. Uh, was not in D&D, actually. It was in a game called RetroScape. And I love it and it's great. Uh it's a it's a small smaller game.
1: The like, name's familiar. I can't I can't put an image to it though.
0: I mean, do you go to many Comic-Cons here? I don't. No. Okay. That that'd be the only way that I, I want would... to sometime, but oh. I if I do I'd have to cosplay. Yeah. If you ever go to like Gen no, not not Con. can um, uh Camp Con. Uh that's the uh, Kansas City Comic-Con that they oh, nice. have. Uh, not con which is their, their, like their gaming con that's what that is and there's one other one Midwest Game Fest that's it Uh if you go to either one of those there's a table you'll find for Retroscape with Jake Jake is cool <laughs> tell him Greg sent ya. uh that's for everyone here if you ever meet Jake tell him Greg sent ya, and he'll probably tell you what my ringtone says which is damn it Greg shut up <laughs> Uh, that is actually what my ringtone says <laughs> because uh, they were doing, because he's one of the developers of the game. Uh, like I said, it's an indie kind of game company mm-hmm. uh, they've made, or they're pretty much like Jake is one of the developers and then you have the other developer, uh, Daniel, but anyway, so Daniel's in Texas. Uh, Jake moved from Texas up to here in Kansas city to expand the enterprise kind of mm-hmm. thing. Uh, and and uh, so they have a Discord server, and I, I'm on there pretty pretty fairly often. And and what's funny is they ended up doing, like, a live stream of the mm-hmm. game. Uh, they did a whole YouTube series called Retroscape Live, The New Frontier. I listen to all of it live, and while it's live, you get to text them and stuff. Uh, <laughs> I, I was texting up some pretty dumb jokes, and during mm. it, I texted a really dumb joke, and Jake read it and was like, damn it, Greg, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Which which was great, and I had to record it and put it as my ringtone, because why not? <laughs> also, he does know that's my ringtone, and will randomly text me, I hope that ringtone bites you in the butt, or something like that. <laughs> like, especially when I make a dumb joke. Uh, but, but anyway, the biggest game I ever run was in Retroscape. And for a quick little background to Retroscape, uh, we've talked about Fallout, so I know you know about like Fallout mm-hmm. lore. Think of it's like that. It's like Fallout lore is like the Jetsons, but then a nuclear apocalypse occurs. Yeah. That's what Retroscape is. Jetsons, then nutri- nuclear fallout, 70 years in the future. Instead of like in Fallout where they still use the old world technology, like with the Brotherhood of Steel and all that kind of fun jazz. Uh, in Retroscape, it goes in a different direction where they are afraid of technology. Oh, because technology brought the downfall of their world, and mm-hmm. there are still gigantic warmongering robots that roam the land, destroying uh, like, towns and stuff like that. So people are still afraid of technology. Mm-hmm. And then there's this one person who decides, hey, technology is the only thing that can save us right now. And so they create a citadel known as Delphi. And so Delphi creates a lot of like, labs, and that's what you play as, is a lab operative. Uh, and so, like, instead of classes, that's what they have, or labs. So you get to choose which lab you're a part of. and That's it, cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It, it's definitely a unique spin on the class system. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, uh, where was I going with... Oh, yeah. So, like, a lot of my lore that I have with that is is really funny because, like, I do have, like, some, like, in-depth lore that, like, I've spent, mm-hmm. you know, writing all night. Like, oh, yes, this is great. But then I also, like, especially with names... Is most of my names in Retroscape are always puns or something like that? Like, <laughs> like there was like of course they there are. was a scientist who was uh like had these giant bats. I forgot what they're called in the game, but he had these giant mutant bats uh, that he was uh, controlling with uh, with sounds. Uh, he he figured out how to do that. That's cool. How to, yeah, because I I I put some thought into it. I was like, actually, this makes a little bit of sense. So it's, like, he, he was able to use sounds to kind of, like, mind control them a bit. Uh, and so uh, I ended up naming him Professor Oak because, you know, Pokemon reference. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and th- that pretty much sets up uh, what the rest of the names were pretty much like. Uh, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but that's, yeah. That, that, uh, I mean, like, there was, there's like, Willingham the butler. Uh, who's their robot, who they all think is going to kill them. Every every session, they're like, oh, yeah, Willingham's going to kill us because, you know, evil robotic butler, obviously. Mm. It's like, no, he's not. I like him. <laughs> but, yeah, he, he's called Willingham because Travis Willingham, uh, mm. everyone knows. Oh, I lo- I, he's probably my favorite of the Critical Role cast. Oh, uh, wait, wait, he's on – I was talking about Travis Willingham's yee Hall Game Ranch, yee Hall, obviously. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I thought you were being serious for a second. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, but sadly that will be all the time we have for mm-hmm. today's episode I'd just like to take a moment to thank Bruns for coming here yet again mm-hmm. for another great episode yeah, and thanks for having me on again of course and for the rest of you I'm Greg Burns and you've been listening to Chatting It Up on UCM Radio The Beats. Auf Wiedersehen
1: as we say in Germany I don't know what that means. It means goodbye. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, auf Wiederhören, since you're listening. So that would be the correct. We. We, we. Have a good night, folks.